Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. the Vineyard. We're so glad that you're spending part of your weekend with us, whether you're here in Urbana or you're joining us down in Sullivan or on Vineyard Live. Thanks for taking some time for us. Well, it is great to be back. I have spent the last few months at home as we welcomed our fourth baby, Molly Mae. And yes, I had to put a picture of her up there. She's two months old. And I will admit, after six and a half years of not having a baby, I did forget how much work they are, but I also forgot how much joy they bring to the family, and I will say that this child does not lack in the love department. She is constantly carried, smothered in kisses daily, and I'm constantly trying to figure out whose turn it is to hold her, to change her. Poopy diapers, though, you know, anyone want to do that for me? (laughs) So great to be back. I'm so thankful for my little family, and I'm so thankful for our church family It's great to be back. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how hope rises as God meets us in our pain. And we've been learning some really important lessons. We've been learning that hope rises as wrong ideas fall. We've learned that hope rises as we replace faith with fake. We take, we replace fake with faith. And that hope rises when we bear one another's burdens. And we're going to continue learning today how hope can rise. You know, our circumstances may not change, but God's presence in our situation can change us. And so I'm just going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher today. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to be the teacher. Give us ears to hear what you want to say today as we discover how hope rises when we are in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start off with a story, and this is a family from California. It was December of 2017 when Jane, uh, Janie and Joel Taylor and their two small children were getting ready to celebrate the holiday season. They had two-year-old Jackson and four-year-old Addie, and like many young families, they loved creating traditions and celebrating those traditions at the holidays. And like most parents, they were really hoping for a healthy holiday. Why is it that strep throat and the stomach bug love Christmas as, as much as the rest of us do, right? But unfortunately, that was not going to be the case. It was just a normal day. Jackson and Janie happened to be doing some holiday baking. When that afternoon, Jackson started kind of seeming like he was catching something. And by that evening, he was so sick, they decided to take him into the ER to see what was wrong. And upon their arrival, they discovered that he may have contracted E. coli, which Janie recalls, actually, she was a little relieved. She was like, well, at least like we know what it is and it's treatable. But that relief was short-lived. Because not only did Jackson have E. coli, it quickly developed into something called HUS, which is a serious condition that affects your blood and blood vessels and led to Jackson's kidneys beginning to shut down. 
and he was life-flighted to a bigger hospital, and the diagnosis was grim. He went from holiday baking to a very serious condition within 12 hours. Imagine the pain. Imagine the fear. What do you do in situations like this when, when you get bad news, when you get the phone call, when the diagnosis comes, when the relationship is strained and broken? How do you respond? You know, life is so often filled with storms. And so often these storms, they come suddenly into our lives and we're blindsided. And before we even have a chance to really think about our response, we, we respond involuntarily. We either end up worrying our minds to death or we, we wallow in our pain and our suffering. We begin to feel self-pity. How can hope rise at all when we're in the midst of this painful circumstance? You know, worry, it's such a normal response to pain. You know, what's going to happen? How long is this going to last? Is it going to get worse? Or perhaps you're more prone to wallowing. You're more prone to self-pity and why is this happening to me? And it seems like everybody else has it easy and it's hard on me. Pain in our lives often challenges our conviction of the goodness of God. If God is good, why is this bad thing happening to me? to us, to them? Why is it that good people who love God have hard and difficult things that happen in their lives? And I believe that for, for many of us, we wrestle with these questions. Maybe we're wrestling even right now. Because I found that when the storms of life come, and they do come, the enemy's first tactic against me is to get me questioning the goodness of God. And then his second tactic against me is to get me trapped in these destructive behaviors of worrying and wallowing. And what I found is that these two things, worry and wallow, they actually stifle the hope that Holy Spirit wants to give me. In our worrying and wallowing, we can easily begin to question God's character. Because I don't know about you, but when pain comes into my life, I try everything I can to get it to stop. How can I get out of this? How can I make it stop? You know, several years ago, when our son was eight years old, he was diagnosed with a condition that he's going to outgrow when he goes through puberty. So we're forced to wait. And I'm tempted to question the goodness of God. Or in my pregnancy with Molly, I had multiple complications, and at one point they were suggesting an early delivery, and I'm tempted to worry. I'm tempted to wallow. Why me, God? And I'm forced to wait. Because so often when pain comes into our lives, we actually, there's nothing we can do. We, we feel helpless because we do have to wait. And what I've discovered is actually that hope rises and healing comes often as we are waiting and partnering with the Holy Spirit. But the good news is this. It's not just passively waiting. There's a gift that our Father has given us for this journey it's a powerful gift, a gift that has emotional and physical and spiritual benefits. In fact, scientific research backs this up. Listen to some of the benefits of this gift that God has given us. It improves your mood. It reduces stress. It lowers your blood pressure. It lessens anxiety. It reduces your heart rate, eases your pain, and can even relieve symptoms of depression. What is this gift that our Father has given us? Music. And we believe that the most powerful form of music is worship. This gift, this weapon, 
is a, is a gift that the Father has given us to combat the pain that comes into our lives. How? Because worship connects us to the very presence of God. And in the presence of God, his hope is there to, to overcome any circumstance that we are facing, any bad report, anything the enemy tries to throw at us. What I love is that the Holy Spirit, he's actually pre-programmed into your DNA this gift of help, that music could heal us and bring us hope. But I get it. Worship is rarely our first response when we hear bad news. In fact, I know for some of you, it just feels so painful to even sing words that you're not sure you even believe. But today we want to take some time, we we want to discover how hope can rise when we sing in the middle of the storm. How this gift of music can actually be used by us to, instead of worrying and wallowing, we can experience hope rising in our hearts. And so I'm going to turn now to Romans 5, and I'm going to read a passage um, by Paul where he talks about when we sing in the middle of pain. But I'm going to back it up a little bit. I'm going to start at verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm going to read in the Message Bible because I love the way that Eugene Peterson writes this passage out for us. So I'm going to start with verse 1. This is what Paul says about praising. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same time, at the same moment, that He has already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Well, what is Paul trying to establish here? What he's trying to establish is the relationship that we've been graced with because of what Jesus did for us. And so he's explaining here that God is both our father and our friend. That through Jesus and what Jesus did, we have been given a brand new identity. We have been made right. We are righteous, which simply means we are right in being. And because of this new identity, we now are empowered to be presence carriers of God himself. That means that that door of access is permanently open. You never have to be separated from God. He can come and live and dwell in you. It's the way he always intended it to be, that you would be with him and he would be with you. And so now there's no longer separation. We get to stand and shout our praises in the grace and the glory of God. We actually praise God because of the relationship that we're in with him. And so this is an awesome foundation because this is Paul saying to us, this is your position. You're in God's family. He is good. But I'm going to keep reading because Paul's going to specifically address now why we continue to praise when we have problems. Picking up in verse 3. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praises even when we're hemmed with troubles because, because we know how troubles can develop, listen, passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue keeping us alert for whatever God will do next in alert expectancy such as this we're never left feeling shortchanged 
quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. This is such a powerful passage. It has so much truth packed in there. So Paul says to us, we sing in the middle of trouble because it produces in us passionate patience. I have never heard those two words together. Passionate patience. And I felt as I was praying about this, I said to the Father, what does this mean? And he gave me this, pr- this phrase, praising during pain produces passionate patience in us. It doesn't make sense. I get it. It doesn't make sense. It's not our first response. Our first response is worrying and wallowing. But praising during pain produces passionate patience in us. You know what the enemy does when I'm in pain? He comes to me and he lies to me and he says, you fool. Why are you worshiping him? And I'm tempted to give in to worry and to wallowing. But what I've discovered is that when I open my mouth and I praise my father for who I already know he is, despite my circumstances, the lies of the enemy are silenced. And I allow that passionate patience to fill me up. How many of you need some passionate patience in your life right now? You need your circumstances to change. I know I do. And I believe that for some of us, we've been fighting against this process of patience that God actually wants to pour into us. And today there is an opportunity, an opportunity for you to look at your situation and say, okay, Father, I want to embrace this season with patience. I want to embrace your passionate patience as I shout praises, even in the midst of my trouble. Because here's what happens. When we shout our praise during our pain and patience enters our hearts, that patience turns into character. It forges the tempered steel of virtue. You see, when we worship God in the middle of pain, God takes our pain, produces patience in us, and builds our character along the way. You see, what the enemy means to destroy us, the Father turns around and uses it to build us. And then what ends up happening is that in that In that building process, it keeps us alert for what God's going to do next. And so instead of looking down and thinking about the circumstances, now we're looking up and we're saying, okay, Father, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you saying today about that? And that expectancy does not leave us feeling shortchanged. Instead, it leads us back to hope. I love the way the Passion Bible translates part of this verse. It says, patient endurance will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to hope. Do you need hope to rise in your heart? Because I'm going to tell you the recipe right now. You're going to shout praises in the middle of pain. That's going to produce passionate patience in your heart. That's going to build your character, which is going to lead to you staying alert for what God's going to do next. And then God's going to generously pour it out, and you're not going to have enough containers to control all that God's going to dump into your life. You see, this hope, it doesn't disappoint. It's not a fantasy hope. It's not like, oh God, I hope, I hope you come through. No, because he is who he says he is. He is good despite what pain you are facing. Now, I want to be clear. This doesn't mean that we're always going to feel the way we want to feel. How many of you have a lot of feelings? I'm a feeler, so I'm just going to admit it. I have a lot of feelings. 
And so sometimes this can get me real tripped up because I don't feel it. But there comes a time when we make a choice. Remember, we're not, we're not praising him for results. We're praising him because of our relationship. We're praising him because he's our father and we're his kids. You know, for us, you know, so often I, I talk to people and they say, well, I just don't have hope. And you know who is the number one carrier of hope in our lives? The Holy Spirit. There really is no hope without the Holy Spirit. And so today, if you're feeling a lack of hope, I actually think we need just a, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to come. If you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but he can become settled. And today we might need to stir him up, to, to, to stir him up so that he can begin to breathe that life and that hope back into you. Well, I want to return to the story of Jackson Taylor. Remember, he's two years old. He's been life-lighted to a, a larger hospital, and his parents are, are really in the throes of a terrible and difficult situation. And they had just received the news that his kidneys were shutting down. Well, Joel is the CEO of Bethel Music, who is one of the major music producers for worship music in the world. And he began reaching out to his church family and his music family, asking for prayer and asking for a miracle for Jackson. And an army of people began to pray and worship on Jackson's behalf. And for days, he battled this sickness, and then he took a turn for the worse. He was no longer responsive, and the, the family was told to prepare that he may pass away that night. They needed to do a, a painful procedure on him. And uh, the tailors sent an update to their army of prayer warriors. And all the way across the country on the East Coast, Jonathan and Melissa Helser received the text from the tailors. And I want you to watch this clip of what happened as they shouted praises in the middle of the storm. I want you to watch and see what God generously poured out. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my I remember the night we got the text. I mean, the text wasn't like, hey, pray for Jackson tonight. It might be a hard night. It was like, unless there's a miracle, Jackson's not making it through the night. I remember standing at this crossroads and feeling like this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that, um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up. The only option is like, we just have to worship. It wasn't a songwriting session. It was fighting for our friend's son's life. Hope rises when we sing in the middle of the storm. This is how worship becomes a weapon for us. Miraculously, just a few days after this, Jackson began to improve, and eventually he would go on to heal completely. He just celebrated his fourth birthday this last summer. And uh, what I love about this story is how it illustrates some of the other truths we've been learning, that hope rises as we bear one another's burdens. That hope rises when we do sing in the middle of the storm. You see, your declaration of God's goodness, of his power, of his love, in the middle of whatever you're facing, not after the storm, in the middle of the storm, can change everything. And I understand it's painful sometimes. I understand it, it, it's hard. But this is a gift that God has given us. And because 
of the Helsers and their commitment to sing in the middle of a storm, think of the anthem that we now have, that we now have to declare, and you better believe we're going to sing that song later, with hope (laughs) that God wants to move in every impossible and difficult situation in our lives. So I want to turn to the Bible now, and we want to look at a biblical example of someone who chose to sing in the middle of the storm. And I'm going to turn to Acts 16, and I'm going to tell you part of the story, and I'll read part of the story. I'm going to talk about Paul and Silas. You know, they're on their second missionary journey, and Paul is preaching, and they encounter this young girl who is demon-possessed and has the power to tell the future. And she's been enslaved to masters who make a profit off of her ability to tell the future. And she begins to follow Paul and Silas around, shouting behind them, these men can tell you how to be saved. You'd think it was like free advertising that maybe they'd like, but Paul, after a few days, he had had enough. And he turned around to that girl. He was not angry with the girl. He was angry with the demon. And he said, in the name of Jesus, be free. And instantly the girl was, but she lost her ability to tell the future. And so because of that, her masters no longer have the ability to make money, and they are furious. And so they grab Paul and Silas, they drag them through the town, and a mob begins to form, and they begin to beat and um, severely hurt Paul and Silas. And eventually, they're thrown into a Roman prison in a dungeon. They're shackled and left for dead. This is a situation where there is no hope. There is no backup plan There is no, well, Paul knows somebody who's going to get them out of prison. They are as good as dead. And they have every reason in the midst of these circumstances, every reason to worry and to wallow. God, we were serving you and look what happened. And yet they're going to make a choice to do something pretty extraordinary. So I'm going to pick up now in Acts 16, verse 25. Listen to what they did. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? You know, I think we read stories like this and we kind of gloss over them. Like, oh yeah, they they sang. That's kind of cool. This is a Roman prison in the dungeon. They are trapped. They are severely beaten. And this is the response they have to God because they, they believe and know in God's goodness and his love for them. And then I just love to watch and see how the story unfolds. Because God supernaturally moves and sends an earthquake, a very specific earthquake, that opens the prison doors and loosens all the chains on the prisoners without hurting a single person. You see, our praise and our worship, it frees more than just us. And what I love here is that Paul and Silas, they didn't try to run ahead of what God was doing. They shout their praise in the middle of pain and passionate patience fills them. And they stay alert for what God's going to do next. And what God does next is he he frees everybody. But instead of then running ahead of God and being like, I'm out of here, they wait back to see what God's really doing. Because what God was doing was not just freeing them physically. He was freeing that jailer spiritually. 
And I have to wonder about those other prisoners. Surely they came to know the love and truth of Jesus that night. But that jailer, it's as dramatic as it sounds. He falls before them. And many uh, historians and theologians believe this jailer would have been the person that oversaw the beating of Paul and Silas. We're talking about hours. He falls before them and says to them, I want to know the God that you serve. It's as dramatic as it sounds. And that jailer would go on. If you keep reading there, he actually nurses their wounds. He takes them back to his home. His entire family hears the gospel message and they all get saved that night. And so what happens in the midst of the pain that Paul and Silas are facing is that when they shout praises to the Father, he moves. When they shout praises to the Father, he changes lives. And I get it. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always feel like the natural thing to do. I love to think about what a strange sound it must have sounded like to those prisoners to hear those praises rising at midnight. Because praise during pain does sound weird to people who've never done it. But it is a powerful gift that the Father has given us. What I love is that worship often connects us to the larger story of what God is doing in our lives. And then the Holy Spirit generously poured out more than they could even contain. Now I want to be clear. That worship in the middle of the storm does not guarantee the outcome that we want. It doesn't guarantee that every prison door will fly open or that every sick child that we pray for will be healed or that we won't experience pain and suffering. We don't praise God for the resolution. We praise him because we're in relationship with him. We don't praise and worship as manipulation. We praise and worship as a declaration of who he is and what he's done for us. Hope rises when we sing in the middle of the storm. And as we sing out to God, what happens is that pain lessens and his love and his truth can fill our heart. And today, I want to end the message by telling and sharing the story of Aaron Graham with you. He's a young father who had to walk through incredibly painful circumstances and sing in the middle of the storm. So turn your attention to the screen. I always felt uh, like I, I, I was the luckiest man in the world. She was very attractive, but... What people didn't realize is right away I, I recognized how unique she was because of her strong faith. She was very authentic. Uh, you know, if she was your friend, she loved you completely. We got married in the summer of 2007. We had three kids together and uh, she had wanted to have all of her kids before she turned 30 and she got that wish. My family has been blessed to be a part of the community from the orchard perspective for 40 years now and uh, Sarah got involved because um, had a knack had a love for design had a love for marketing in a way that really just spoke to her from what she perceived as the the orchards voice you know everything from the color of paint in a display to the way something was to the products that we carried you know, in fact, I, I look back on our life and we had a really normal, in the most blessed sense of the word, you know, we, we liked taking walks, we liked taking lots of little mini vacations, and she was a big believer in pushing us out of the house and making memories. Sarah got a call from one of her, her cousins, who is about our age, and she just really lamented that through the lack of trying, 
cousins had grown apart that had formerly really been uh, very connected growing up. And she said, you know, I want to do something about that. I really want to be proactive in establishing these good memories, and that takes effort. It was very important to her that we had that connection. She felt, I think she even used the word called, to uh, go to this cousin's reunion that we were establishing. So uh, it was uh, slated for the week of the uh, July 4th, 2017, and uh, it was going to be in near Aspen, Colorado, at a great VRBO. And I remember we'd been through some rough times as far as career and just really seeking God. And I remember she asked me that evening, we're packing and everything, and she said, you know, what do you think the next steps are? And I remember poignantly saying, my hands are open. I don't have any answers. I'm just willing to get wherever God leads. And so we go into the trip kind of having that moment. So we head out, it's a long two-day trip, and we're there, we're, we're worn out, but we're heading to see fellow, you know, fellowship with, with these cousins that we love, had some great burgers and uh, you know, hot tub, and I remember going to bed at, um, it was around midnight, we just had some good fellowship with uh, some cousins one-on-one, -on -one, and then everything fell apart. And the morning of the 4th, I woke up and, uh, and I found her in, in the bathroom and was able to get uh, her cousin, who is a medical doctor, uh, in the room right away and, and do CPR. But the thing that stands out to me most is that immediately I was surrounded by these cousins and they walked me downstairs and we were praying and then one of them said, well, why don't we sing hymns? And I mean, we sang hymns like I've never sung them before. And by the time the EMTs came and told me the, the final news that she had passed away, um, I remember just being surrounded by love. But worship was the binding factor in this, in a really, really tragic situation that bound all of us by faith together. And the one thing I can say is, first of all, you'll get through it uh, if you allow him to work through that. And the second thing is that, no, it doesn't necessarily get better right away, but that his goodness does shine through. There's been moments where it's like, God, I, I can't be this single dad, and I didn't want this, but you're here, and you can have it all. We know we're gonna weather tough times, but he's been a very present help during times of trouble. I worked for a year right next to her desk after she passed away. And we drive by her, her cemetery plot almost every day. And I look at those as moments to really declare God's goodness, God's victory, and to say, no, the devil doesn't get that. You know, I, I'm not gonna go and shy away. And I remember I was talking to my son and he was really bothered that we're, he goes, Dad, why are we going down old church again? I hate this place. And I said, it hurts, doesn't it? And he goes, yeah, it really hurts. And I said, we don't shy away from things that hurt. I said, we let God fill them. And I said, I'm not trying to cause you more trauma. I'm trying to show you that he's good even when it really hurts. And I said, and I'm the only way I know is because it really hurts me too. And I said, but he's still good. And I said, so one of the things that I do is I, I usually sit in the front and 
it feels like it's, it's a declaration that he's good no matter what. Our worship is a declaration of the goodness of God. We don't shy away from things that hurt. We let God fill that hurt. Unbelievable hurt of a 30-year-old mother who just dies with no explanation. That's real pain. I love what he said to his son there, though. I'm not trying to cause you more trauma. I'm trying to tell you that he's good even when it really hurts. Because that's who he is. See, we can worship in the middle of the storm because this is one way that he wants hope to rise in our hearts. He wants to meet us in our pain. He wants us to know that his goodness is running after us. And I want to end today by reading a verse. But before I do that, I, I want you to, to think about what's the pain you're facing today? What's, what's the mountain that's in front of you? Where's the place you need God to move? And I want you to dial into that. I want you to, to bring it to your mind. I know it's painful to think about. I know you want to push it down. I know you're tempted to worry and to wallow. But I want to worship over it today. I want you to bring it to God so that he can take it. I want you to shout praises before God so that his passionate patience can fill your heart. So that your character can be built. So that your endurance can grow. So that you can stay alert for what God wants to do next. I want to end with Psalm 34, 8. It says, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. Let's run to him today. And so, Father, I just thank you, Father, for this incredible gift that you've given us of worship, of music, God, that we can find hope in your presence, God, as you meet us, as you take our pain, as you heal us as you keep us alert for what you're doing. And so now, Holy Spirit, I say, come. Come and have your way as we take time to worship you, God. We love you. Meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.